Hey, welcome back to Come Back. As usual, I am your host Connor, and today I am delighted to welcome my guest Jessica Likens, who is an actress and an acting teacher currently in Vietnam, initially from the States. We're going to talk about acting, more expat life, and see where we go. I'm excited for this one. Welcome, Jessica. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Um, I got the States correct, right? Correct. Correct. Whereabouts in the States? Can you tell me a bit more about your background, just to get a general overview? I was born and raised on the East Coast, so I'm originally from the Philadelphia area. Uh, I knew I wanted to do acting, and so I eventually made my way out to the West Coast, and I've lived in LA for the last 10, I mean, well, minus the years in Asia, I was in LA for 10, 15 years. Right, okay. Uh, yeah. As someone from the UK who's never been to America, but has okay. seen a lot of it in popular culture and media, I have a view of LA that it's <laughs> a bit like, what's the word? Full of people really wanting to make it. Absolutely. Yeah, and quite superficial. Would you say that's true? Or am I? I would say that the caliber of acting in LA is higher, probably. I, I mean, I shouldn't say this to an English person because it, the caliber of acting in England is also very, very high, but it's a slightly different style, right? There's a big emphasis on theater. For film acting, I think LA, I wouldn't say it's so superficial. I think it's the place in the world with the highest caliber of acting. You can walk into any workshop and watch 20 people act and odds are they're going to have a very, very high level of acting ability because it's a place where people are told that they need to be training all the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the level of uh, training is very high. The level of competition is insane uh, and intense. And your odds of getting a shot at even playing the game are low. But if it's, if it's where you want to be, it's where you want to be. Absolutely. And in terms of where you grew up on the East Coast, again, yeah. excuse my lack of American geography. So on the East Coast, what's the attitude towards acting there? Well, if you're in New York... That's one thing, but I wasn't in New York. I was in Philadelphia, mm. so most of the acting teachers that I had there, now granted I was a high school student at the time, they were people who had pursued acting in New York and had come back after kind of giving up because that's also a very competitive industry. Mm. And so they were teaching community classes in Philadelphia, you know, or whatever. So it's not a big market as far as acting goes. But it was a good, I knew I knew what I wanted to do, so it was a good place to get a start, and then you jump into a bigger market. Right, okay. What influenced you to want to start acting? Like, when was this? I was 13. I don't know. I mean, that's, why does anyone want to do anything? I don't know. It's just, you know, something just touches you, and you just know. Like, who doesn't want to play, who really wouldn't want to be an actor? Who doesn't want to play pretend all the time and make money doing it you know yeah, I think sure. storytelling um, is is fascinating I think it's a, an incredible form of therapy you get to express all of your feelings uh, you get to express all of all of whatever's going on with you and nobody has to know where it's coming from because the script is your cover right you get to use the script but the emotions are coming a hundred percent from you so you get right. to use whatever's going on in your life and and work it all out there in the scene mm. and and you don't have to disclose to anybody where it's really coming from can I ask like not playing devil's advocate but looking at it from the other side yeah. can that be dangerous perhaps going into a character that's quite let's say in a tough place shall we say can it be dangerous perhaps getting too wrapped up in the character I think it can be depending on how you've trained Right. as an actor so um you hear a lot about method acting and and usually people who are really into method acting are the ones who get into trouble with that and there is you know some documented psychological damage yes. that can happen yeah, yeah. from people who go too far with the method acting and stuff like that the way that i've been trained i haven't it's more um I guess Meisner technique is, is a name that's thrown around a lot, but it's not, I've never actually done a traditional Meisner program. Um, Meisner, if, if you don't know, so I guess like quick genealogy of like all of the acting forms that are popular right now, it all starts with Stanislavski, cool. right? And then people, but the thing is Stanislavski wrote like tons of books and they're volumes like that are ginormous, right? Like if you threw them at someone, you'd kill them. So people took different things that Stanislavski said and ran with it. And he said a lot of different things over decades, right? So um, method acting comes from Stanislavski. So does Meisner. So do all the other basically current techniques that are out there, but they emphasize different things. Meisner is mostly famous and known for the repetition exercise or the repetition drill. So if you've heard of a traditional Meisner program, then 
you, you basically spend an entire year doing nothing but the repetition drill. The repetition drill is you say something and I say it back to you and we mimic one another's energy. Mm. Um, because the theory behind Meisner, and to some degree I think this is true, is that we're always in life sort of mimicking one another. We, do, we feed off of one another's energy. So if you know I run into a girlfriend in the mall and I run up to her and I say, hey! Most likely, she's not going to respond by saying, fine. Right. Of course, she's yeah, also yeah. going to, oh, I'm so good, and how are you? Right. So we kind of, um, and, and it doesn't always play out in the way that you're, you're, you're speaking the same way someone's playing, but if my boss yells at me, my energy comes up to meet. I, I may not be able to respond in life by yelling back to my boss yeah, unless yeah. I want to lose my job. But when he's yelling at me and my, you know, then my energy comes up to the same level and it may express itself in a different way. But that's sort of where Meisner's coming from, right? right? Like so your yeah, energy yeah. is always feeding entirely off of the other person's energy. So you have to be super hyper aware of where they're coming from. Um, so I think I've been trained in a more Meisner-like form. Um, I've used sort of Meisner as a basis in a lot of the ways that I've been trained. So when you're using Meisner, um, you're not really that sort of obsession that, that um, a, a method actor may have with becoming the character. Yeah, You're always yeah. using who you are. So, you know, I'm not becoming anything that I'm not. I'm me, put in a different set of circumstances, and I have to say the words that are in the script. Of course. And people say, well, that's easy if you're just always playing yourself. No, it's not easy to be you in a set of circumstances that you've never been in, mm. saying words that are somebody else's words, but you have to make them entirely your own. Mm. And you have to believe it, that this set of circumstances is happening to you of course. repeatedly for the first time every time. Right. Because it's not theater, right? Although in theater, there's repetition, but it's the next night. You know, I'm doing the same scene 20 times back to back and every time I have to be hearing this line for the first time. I have to be experiencing this experience for the first time. Right, right. So that's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Um, but it is, I think, I think you, you it, it, it takes away that sort of risk of like you getting lost in a character, you know, because you're, you're not, you're not ever a character. I'm just me but I'm, I've got a different name and I'm experiencing a different set of circumstances. But right, my backstory so. is still my backstory and my feelings are still my feelings. Yeah, of course. So I'm not, I'm not sub, uh, another term you hear a lot about is substitution, right? So method actors are big into substitution. Meisner trained actors don't use substitution. So I also don't find it particularly useful, honestly. Like, I'm not gonna say I've never tried it. But if I go into a scene and the situation is, you know, I'm breaking up with my husband of 10 years and, you know, maybe this, the scene indicates that they want me to sob or something like that. Well, a lot of actors will try to go back into their past and relive a really sad situation so that they can cry or whatever, feel whatever they feel is necessary for that scene. But most likely the circumstances don't line up completely so like if I go back to my mom dying that has nothing to do with me and my relationship with my husband in the scene right now yeah sure right that doesn't really help me and it actually takes you out of paying attention to what your partner is giving you right of course so like if if you're in the scene with me and you're yelling at me but I'm thinking about my mom I'm not even seeing what's going on with you and then that is shown to the audience later because they see you and they see me. Even if we're cutting back and forth between different takes, there's going to be something. That, what usually a non-actor will say is that there's no chemistry. They'll say, oh, there's no chemistry between those two mm. actors. As a trained actor, you might realize, no, they weren't paying attention to one another. Like They were off doing their own thing. Yes. They rehearsed this scene a particular way. They had a certain way that they wanted to do it, or they're in their own mind going back and substituting for something else, and they're just not seeing the person in front of them, right? But uh, to a non-actor, they just go, oh, that, that was weird. Those actors had no chemistry. Right, I see. And how do you establish that chemistry? Do you have a conversation before it, or do you just literally see how it comes together? You often don't have time. So it just depends if it's an indie film and you're the lead, right? And you're filming for a month or whatever, you know, usually indies are shorts, so it's not usually a month, but you're filming for a week, right? Or whatever. 
then sure, you have lots of time to get to know that person. And there may be rehearsals leading up to the production, in which case you can establish chemistry that way. But if you're going into set and you're a guest star on an episode of something, which guest star sounds fancy, but it just means I have a big role on this one episode, right? And I will never be on the show again, right? That would be recurring. Okay, then most often you don't get a chance to meet anybody that will be in your scene prior to actually stepping into the lights, mm. into your, you know, you're getting blocked and you're being told where to move and whatever. And then that's it, you're just gonna go. Um, so the chemistry has to come from just really paying attention to what you're getting in the moment. You know, and, and you do have those moments while they're setting up the lights and they're setting up the camera and the angle and everything and they're telling you the broccoli. I will stare creepily into the other actor's eyes while that's happening and I will not blink like I'm doing right now. Yeah. And I will just try to see what's going on with you and if there's some energy that I want to send to you, I will send it to you non-verbally, right? Because we're not going to have a chance to talk about what's going to happen in the scene, but I will try to convey to you emotionally where I'm at I will try to check in with where you're at just in those last few moments before they call action. But that's me, not everybody does that, right? But then once they call action, you better be hyper alert and, pay, and paying attention to what the other actor is giving you because that's really, a lot of times, the only, you really just don't have any other time. Mm. <coughs> For example, like building this report and reading people's energy, can you then trans transport that from like the acting space into your own life? Like say for example, in relationships or work dynamics, can you do that? I think you can, but I think um, there's a way in which like in our acting lives, we're better listeners than we ever would be in life. And almost like, like I will encourage at, when I'm teaching, um, I will encourage my students to try some of these things in life and just see how it goes. But I think, um, you know, in film, there's sort of this irony where it's like everything is realism and everything, just be true, be real, just be natural. But there is a technique to it and there is a level of intensity that doesn't really exist very often in life because you've taken, I don't know, a month, a year, two years, and you've now put it into a movie that has to fit into 100 minutes or 120 minutes at the most or whatever, right? So all the sort of mundane conversations, all of the moments where somebody is just getting up and brushing their teeth, you know, even that, those montages of someone getting up and getting ready in the morning, it happens in 10 seconds, you know? You don't actually watch someone eat their entire bowl of oatmeal because no one wants to watch <laughs> you eat your entire bowl of oatmeal, right? So the level of... Um, just intensity, I think, is always higher in a film or on television, right? So that sort of is shown through the way that we have to pay attention to people, right? Like you can't miss anything that they're giving you. If I paid that much attention in life all the time, I think I'd crash by like yeah. 7 o'clock at night every night. I just wouldn't have the energy to sustain like an entire day. Sometimes we do have to zone out in life. Sometimes yeah, we yeah. have to just like be having our own thoughts while someone else is talking to us. Um, and we do miss moments, but in, when you're acting in a film or you're acting in television, you can, you don't have those moments to spare. You know, you're, no, you're of course. so that so that level of intensity is very high. Also, things like the not blinking, um, that's that's a close-up technique, right? So when you're in a close-up, if you watch really really good film actors, they've trained themselves not to blink. There's a couple reasons for that. One, it's really distracting in a close-up because in in a cinema, you know, the, when the screen is so large, this is huge, yeah, you know, especially yeah. if it's an extreme close-up and you're like this, just the, the mov movement of the eyes, um, you know, again, we say be natural, but if an actor just looks off to the side of the screen in the middle of a scene, that means something to the audience. That's conveying either thought, depending on the way it's done, if it's down toward the ground. If it's up higher, there's something that's being seen there. And if the, then there's not a cut to it later, the audience is confused. They don't understand why the eyes yeah, went to the yeah. side there. So you can't really have naturalistic eye movements where when I'm talking to a person, I may be looking to the side like this in a real conversation. But in a close-up, my eyes are locked in on yours and I'm not going to blink and I'm not going to really move them unless it's to convey something to the audience that I'm having a moment here. 
So I'm going to look down a little bit to the side because I have to have a moment of private thought here before mm. I come back up. Or if I look to the side, it's, oh, that person over there. Cut to that person over there, right? right and, then, sure. and then that'll be shown to the audience. Yeah. So there's some, some things that we have to be um, really aware of in film that we wouldn't do in life. But I tell my students, you know, try it. Have a conversation with someone and stare at them and don't blink and see what happens. You That's know? what I'm and trying also, to do right now. <laughs> yeah, and also just um, for the practice. I mean, I think the not blinking thing, you sort of have to train your eyes to do it. Mm. So see how long you can go. Have a conversation with someone like a staring contest. They don't have to be in on it. They don't have to know <laughs> what's going on, right? Yeah, but just yeah. have a conversation with someone where it's a staring contest yeah. and see how long you can. Now I've trained myself to do this for many years, so I can do this for a very, yeah. very long time. You seem very good at it. Yeah. I've just, wait, I just <laughs> noticed my eyes wandering. I'm like, this hurts a bit now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, but those are the things you don't want to be thinking about on set. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to be on set going, did I blink too much, right? Oh, what did yeah. I do with my face, right? The second you start, that's what an actor calls being in their head. Yeah, yeah. Right? You don't want to be in your head about what, it's not really really about what you're doing it's about what the other person is giving you and that's yeah. why actors are always told acting is listening acting is listening right it's like focus in on the other person mm. the second you're thinking about what you're doing you're in your head and you're messing it up right yeah, yeah. you're you now zoned out you're not paying attention to the scene you're an actor reflecting on something that you're doing as an actor right and that you're not in character anymore you're not living the moment anymore right so these are things we have to practice off set you know, when we're, so, you know, go to the grocery store, check out, you know, and then while you're in the checkout line, see if you can look at the cashier the whole time and don't break eye contact and, you know, just freak them out a little. It's okay. They don't need to know what you're doing. Right, just see. see if you can go the whole time, you know, and just train yourself to do that. You can think about it for one second before they're rolling, right? I'm not going to blink. Cool. Now what's going on with you, right? And now I'm focused in on this other actor and I'm not going to think about that at all. Right, it sounds right. like there's a lot of psychology going on here. I guess. Yeah, I don't know much yeah. about psychology. Okay, okay, just, yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking about the whole headspace process and about yeah. getting yourself into like, excuse me, getting yourself into say the zone or the flow yeah. or whatever we call it. Can I ask you about your process? For example, yeah. you'll do a scene once yeah. and it'll be the first time. Right. Cut, you go again and it's, right. you've still got to keep in that first time mode. How do you do that? So I would say don't. Don't oh. try to do it the same ever. Um, now, at that, uh, on the other hand, you don't have to try to do anything radically different either. Um, but one of the fun things about film is you do get cut, you do get do it again. You can do it as many times as the director will let you do it, right? So, um, what I would say is you can never erase the energy that was created during the previous take. Okay, so if you and I just did a scene together, and we had an argument and the argument kind of builded throughout the scene, right? Once we call cut and now we're going to start again, my heart is now racing. My breath is up, right? My just kind of adrenaline, yeah, right? All the yeah. adrenaline that just happened from that scene is all up now. I can't say, okay, stop. Erase all that <laughs> adrenaline. Adrenaline. It doesn't yeah. happen. I'm going to wipe it from my body somehow. It's going to be there. It's still and there, you know right? what? Yeah. It's helpful. You want mm. it there. You you worry about a scene when you don't feel any energy going into it at the beginning. Right. right? You worry when you're tired. When the energy is high inside of you, it's going to be a good scene. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where it's going to go. Cool. And that's the roller coaster, and that's the fun, and that's the wild ride that you go on, and that's what makes acting so much fun. Mm. So you and I just did that scene. Cool. That was one way to do it. Now we're going to do it again. We're not going to change the lines. We're not going to change the blocking. Those are the things we're not allowed to change. But as far as the way that I say the lines to you, as, way, as, as far as they're going to affect me, right? It can be completely different this time, just like it would be in life. So if I bump into you one day, how clean do I have to be on this? Are we allowed to use cuss Go for words? It. Go for it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. If I bump into you one day and you go, oh, how are you, know, how are you Jessica? How you been? And I go, oh, you know, whatever. And I say a joke and it affects you and you, you say, fuck you, right? One day I might go, oh, well, fuck you too, right? And the next day I might go, really? Fuck me. Well, fuck you. And I may get really upset about it. Hello. Hello. You don't really ever know how you're going to be affected on a given day. It kind of depends on where you're coming from in that moment. Like, how has the rest of my day been, right? You, you could say 
a dirty joke to one, me one day and I might find it hilarious and on another day it could be really offensive to me and it's just sort of the way we are as people right yeah, it yeah. just sort of depends on like where are you at in that moment so why wouldn't it be the same in your acting right we could be doing a scene and you may not have changed the line but just something about the way that you said it this time offended me Right, or something okay. about the way that you said it this time, I found hilarious and I burst out laughing, right? You never want to squash those impulses because what the audience sees, what the director sees is an actor sitting on their um, impulses. You can see that. You don't, as, again, as a non-actor, you may not realize that's what happened, but you, that was weird. There was a weird moment there. I don't know. Yeah. There was like something funny that just happened and I don't really know what it was. May not even be a conscious thought, but there'll be an awareness that something weird just happened. Right. right? So you never, so I don't want to say, well, I didn't laugh the last time. So even though I found this funny, I'm going to sit on that. I'm going to squash that laugh and not let it happen. No, that may be a beautiful moment, right? And they, and again, the beautiful thing about film and television is it's all edited, right? So, and you're going to do multiple takes. You're always going to do multiple takes. So if they don't like that one, that's fine. But it may turn out to be the most beautiful moment that they have. And they go, oh, that's so great that you laughed there. You know, that was so unexpected, right? Yeah. But it was such a real moment. And then they use it. Um, so, yeah. So I would say you, don't, you, you never have to worry about repeating the performance. The, the only things that you're required to stick with are the blocking. And that includes people worry a lot about... Um, you know, you have to do the same physicality to a degree because if my arm is up here in my medium shot yeah, and then in my close-up it's down here and they want to use this medium shot but in the close-up I'm touching my face, right? Then every time they cut back and forth, my hand moves and that's called matching, right? And then they're going to say that doesn't match so we can't use those shots anymore. Right, okay. You don't have to really worry about it too much because there's a script supervisor who's going to tell you. But what you need to worry about as an actor is not to be too busy with your hands. Because, for example, if you get a scene where you're eating and you're not thinking about it, and the first time through, the food's actually really good. This pasta is really good. The whole time I'm doing this scene, I took 10 bites during the course of this scene. Well, now the script supervisor is going to come up to me after we call cut, and they're going to say, don't forget, you took a bite on this line, this line, this line, this line, this line, and now I'm required to remember that for the rest of the uh, takes. Ah, right, okay. Okay, so yeah. you'll notice, and it's one of those things for a non-actor that it's kind of annoying. You'll watch actors in a scene, and it's like, it's breakfast time. Mmm, this looks delicious. They never eat a bite, and then the scene is over, and they're like, thanks for breakfast, and they leave, and yeah, non-actors yeah. make fun of that. But there's a reason for that, and it's not that the, the the props department has not prepared enough pancakes. Trust me, they've got like a zillion pancakes back there so that they can keep replacing it with a new I pancake. I used to wonder this so many times. Yeah, but it's <laughs> this because, is answering a lot of questions. It's because every time I take a bite, I'm gonna have to do it every single time. So if I don't wanna eat 30,000 bites of pancakes, <laughs> I'm not gonna take a bite. The other thing is, I don't wanna have to worry about the matching and maybe like, I'm chewing now, right? Yeah, yeah. Same with smoking. If you get a scene where you have to smoke, you take like one puff to establish that you're smoking and then that's it. Because if you don't, every time it's going to be like, you're going to throw up at the end of the scene. You're going to be so right, sick of okay. smoking. I don't care if you're a chain smoker. You know, if you yeah, take 10 yeah. puffs throughout the course of the scene, they come up and say, don't forget, you have to take a puff here, 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 right? And now you're going to have to do that scene. You have to do the wide shot. You have to do the medium shot. You have to do the close-up, and you have to match it every time and take 10 puffs every time. You know, you're that not going to... sounds wild. Yeah, uh, it's not going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So that's what you're required to keep consistent. Um, the lines, most directors want you to keep consistent. You will occasionally get directors who say, go ahead, improv, it's, you know, do whatever, take, make it your own. Right, but I would say that's the rare case. Most directors want you to stick to the dialogue because genuinely the writers are better writers than actors, let's face it. There are some brilliant actors who are really great at improv, but most of the time the stuff that an actor comes up with is not gonna be as effective Effective right, is what the writer has already spent a lot of time thinking about yeah, and, yeah. And, and crafting very precisely mm. to get to something that's going to happen later in the film or whatever, right? So you're responsible for keeping the lines consistent. But as far as the emotional content, whatever happened before, it happened. And I'm not going to try to erase it. I'm going to start from there because, again, now they're going to say, okay, we're rolling again. Action. My first point is just still checking in with what's going on with you now. 
Absolutely. Right. So I checked in with my partner or my partners if it's a you know multi-person scene. I checked in with where their energy was before the first take. Now I'm checking it again, and I'm also aware of where my energy's at now. And I'm not going to try to change that. I certainly can't change where you're at. Yeah, for right? sure. Wherever you're at is where you're at, and that's where we're going to roll from here. Right. I see. Right? And that this links to the human element of it and working yeah. with people. Now yeah. you have to work with directors, writers, right. fellow co-stars. So much and so many different people. Right. How do you navigate that of say people with different opinions and people who want different things? How do you work with people when you're an mm-hmm. actor? I know that's a huge question, but. I think um, it's hardest, honestly, when you're in like indie projects because people, I think I, I'm very clear about the fact that I'm an actor and I'm a cog in the wheel. And it's, it is, you know, like, it is a creative process that you're all working together and I realize you can't do it without an actor. Like obviously if they could do it with robots, they would have done it by now, right? Like they would be so much easier to work with than (laughs) actors who are emotional, insane people, right? It would be so much easier, but you can't, you need actors and actors are what people go to see, right? Like nobody walks out of a movie to be, and even if you're a writer, you don't walk out of a movie going, those were the best words I ever heard. Right? Everybody's talking about the performance. Everybody's talking about the acting, right? That's, I think, I think film, I think television and film, what makes people so interested in it, from my perspective, is that a lot of us in our daily life, myself included, um, we don't express our emotions fully. And we sort of can't in society, right? There's sort of a limit if you want to be a social human being and like have a normal social life of like mm. how we can express our emotions, you, you can see that children don't do this, right? Children express their emotions fully um, up to a certain age, right? Like, like toddlers, yeah. <laughs> right? Like toddlers express their emotions so, so fully um, that if a grown up acted like that, they'd be labeled a crazy person. Right. If I'm frustrated, I can't stop my feet and get down on the floor. I may want to. Right. But as a grown up, I can't do that and have a functioning social life or a job. Um, actors get to express their emotions and people want them to express their emotions much more fully than most people do in their day to day lives. So when you're angry, you're angry. When you're sad, you're sad, right? And you really, really, nobody really wants to watch you hold that back, mm. right? An actor that's kind of like stoic is sort of a boring actor, yeah, of course. right? Yeah. So um, I think that that's sort of what attracts people to film and television so much. And I don't remember what the question was. I'm sorry, I've lost it. It was about that. working with people. Yeah, okay. So, um, I think, you know, when you're, when you're working with people who are doing an indie and maybe the director is giving you a lot of input and stuff like that, that's when almost it gets, it's like nice to have input, but also sometimes it gets a little messy. It's like, no, okay, wait, you just, you just tell me like, Mm. and I'll like, don't tell me how to do the scene. And okay, so this is an interesting thing. So when you're working with an inexperienced director in maybe an indie situation, it's lovely if they want your input. At the, on the other hand, in a way, I always get my input, right? When you're working with an experienced director, sometimes you have more freedom or input, not in the sense that they're asking you, but they're just letting you do your thing. They're just letting you feel the way you want to feel. They're letting you use your eyes the way you want to lose your, use your eyes, whatever. When you're working with an an inexperienced director, sometimes they'll tell you things like, I want you to yell this line. Well, that's great. But unless it's coming from me, it's going to look fake, right? Like I can yell the line. It's just going to look like a person yelling the line. Mm. So as an actor, you need to get really good if you're working on more indies and stuff like that, which a lot of LA actors are. If you look up my resume, I don't have any big stuff on there, right? It's all indies and stuff because it's such a competitive industry. Like your chances of starting out in your mid twenties or whatever, which is where I was, and then making it into, you know, films that are making it into cinemas worldwide or whatever, like it, it happens. But you know, when every, uh, 
every non-paying student film is getting 3,000 submissions for every role. You know, your chances of, of getting roles like that are slim. Limited, yeah. So, you know, you're doing indie movies and stuff like that. And I think, you know, so that's sometimes, where it's almost like when people don't know what their role is in the project is when working with people gets a little complicated and a little messy. But I think otherwise, you know, you just realize that this is, it's always a team effort. It's always collaborative. Um, the writer, if they want to have a say, can have a say, right? Because this is their, and sometimes that's, especially in TV, the writers have a lot of power, right? So, so they get their say, and the director's worried about the, the lighting and the angles and just pulling everything together and making sure the acting's good too, and right? Like, my job is just to bring it emotionally to be ready obviously like preparation like you don't ever want to be an actor on set that's not prepared you know so you've done your homework you're prepared but then also like you've got something going on with you there's always got to be something going on with you if i just show up and i know my dialogue and that's it mm. then they could have hired a robot right but i need to know i need to check in with myself and know what i want to bring to this in right, terms okay. of like the emotional content. There has to be an element of control. I think just just um, understanding scripts, like understanding what's needed here, and then knowing how to get my energy into that place, but not forcing it, right? right? Okay. Just allowing it to happen in the moment with the other person, right? But if, if I read this scene and go, okay, this energy's at a 10, then it's it's my job. It's my responsibility to make sure that it winds up at a 10, right? If we keep doing the scene and it's at a five every time, I'm not doing my job, right? Yeah, so sure. there's, there's an element of like understanding scripts, understanding when you read a script, what's needed from you from this scene, and then knowing how to get there in a very natural, not forced way. Right, for sure. Right? And that's why it takes years and years of training, because that's not easy. Yeah, for sure. This might be a tricky question, but yeah. can you... Can you tell me, for example, are there two or three main traits that you need to have to succeed in your industry? That's an interesting question. I think um, resilience. You know, people always talk about if you're one of those people who is going to just bow out when you get a lot of rejection, like it's not the industry for you. Yeah. Um, that was what I was going to ask actually about dealing yeah, with rejection because yeah. this is an industry where it's probably the most or definitely up there. I mean, you have to embrace that your job is auditioning. Yeah. Right? Because you spend more time auditioning than you do on set. And that's true even of people who are working all the time. Like until you get to that A-list status where you don't need to audition anymore because everyone's seen your work, right? Um, even the people who work all the time, um, they still spend more time auditioning than they actually do on set. And that means they're getting rejected more often than they're getting hired, you know? And these are people that you go, what? You know, I looked them up on IMDb and they've done 300 things. Yeah, but they've auditioned for like 30,000 right, things, yeah, yeah. right? So like percentage wise, there's always more rejection than there is acceptance. And it's not, you just have to know that it's not always about you. Right, it doesn't always mean that you didn't do a great job. Sometimes it's because uh, you were too tall, or the person who you know they want they wound up casting. They already knew they were going to cast that person because it's a friend of the director, but they had to do the audition because it's a SAG regulation, you know, that they have to do it. Or, um, or the person who plays your mother has brown hair and you have blonde hair. Or, well, you know, whatever. So you just never really know. Um, so you just have to love auditioning. Um, you have to be okay. You have to be really good at forgetting after you've auditioned. Like, forget that that audition ever even right, happened. Yeah, so yeah, when you yeah. get the callback, it's great news. But you're not sitting by the phone going, where's my callback? Where's my <laughs> callback? Um, so I think resilience. I think patience. Um, you know, you hear these stories about actors and it's like, oh, you know, from, from rags to riches and, you know, yeah, like they, yeah. and then you really kind of do some digging and you're like, wait a second, they were in LA for 10 years before that happened, you know, like they weren't just sitting on a park bench, you know, yeah, like, exactly, yeah. like just cause nobody remembers anything they had done. It was cause they were doing indie movies and they were doing non-union commercials and you know, whatever, but you can, you do enough digging, you like start finding this stuff on YouTube and you're like, wait a second, right, you know, course, so, yeah. um, patience, I think knowing that it it can 
still happen for you even if it hasn't happened yet. And usually there's a lot of actors that come to LA from other um, regions with a time limit. I have enough funds for one year in LA mm. or six months in LA, or I'm just coming for pilot season. And if nothing happens this pilot season, then I have to go back to Oklahoma, you know, or whatever. Like, I think that mentality, I'm not saying miracles don't happen. I'm sure that there are people who come in with that mentality and very, very rarely actually something happens within that time span. But I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, if you give yourself a time limit, it's not going to happen within that time limit. So if you know that this is something that you want to do, you have to go in without a time limit, right? Yeah, like sure. I'm doing this because I love it. I'm doing this because it's my passion and whether anything ever happens for me big in my career or not, this is something that is going to make my life fulfilling. It's going to be something that brings me joy, right? The pursuit of it brings me joy. Whether or not I ever achieve fame or success to the level that other people would, you know. And then checking back, I think people who do well um, as actors are people who are good at checking in with their own progress and seeing little steps as progress, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so you know, maybe this year I didn't, um, I didn't get on any of the shows that I wanted to get on, but I got a new agent, right? So step in the right direction, you know. Or, um, well, I did book that that one union commercial. You know, that that's you know, I made more money this year than was my goal, even if it wasn't, you know, on. A, a big, a big. It wasn't in a big movie. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like a life changing exactly. amount. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So seeing all those things as like successes and embracing that rather than going, oh, I didn't, you know, and and not comparing to other people. Absolutely. Yeah. When you are, when you're in a class environment, which you're always like I said, LA actors are trained to be in class. There's always going to be people that, and it's in it's inevitable that you will feel envy, right? That that guy that guy got on that show, but I'm better than him, right? But I'm not him, and I'm not. They, yeah. they weren't looking for me. They were looking for that guy, right? So whether I'm better or not doesn't really matter. So try not to compare with other people because you know nobody's you. When they need you, then it's it's your turn. It sounds like you have to be at peace with the process yeah. and be intrinsically motivated. I think so. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. I feel like otherwise you could easily get trapped and entangled in a web of chaos. And just loving it. Like if you're just in it for fame or money, right, that doesn't come to most people. I'm in the union. To be in the union is not easy, right? Mm. But once you're in the union, once you're a SAG union actor, Screen Actors Guild union actor, 5% of the people in the union make an a living doing acting. So 95% of union of dues paying union members have to have another job just to make ends meet. You cannot survive as an actor alone. So you have you know that going in and I'm not saying that the goal isn't to be in that 5%. Of course that's always the goal. That's what you're that's what we're all trying to get to. But if you don't, you know, just knowing that and knowing mm. that you just love acting for acting and you love the process and you want to be in the biggest market in the world pursuing it and chasing that, you know, because it, it would be easier somewhere else, probably. Yeah, and there yeah. are actors who do do that, you know, well, I want to be a big fish in a small pond. So I'm going to go to, you know, Georgia's big right now. I'm going to go to Atlanta, right, which is not such a small pond anymore. But in the beginning, right, there were a lot of actors running off to Georgia because it was an up and coming market. You had a better chance there, right? Um, but if you really, really, really want to play the real game, then Ellen is the place to be. For sure. Can I ask, like, again, going to the devil's advocate side of things, yeah. if you were to be one of those 5% who do, yeah. let's say, quote unquote, make it onto yeah. making a living, that will also come with its downsides, like invasion sure. of privacy and things like that. Yeah. That 5%, though, that's not even, like, necessarily recognizable actors. Oh, that's, really? like, people uh. who are booking episodic television, like guest star roles two or three times a month and just can pay the bills. Uh, That's actually my goal. Right, I That see. is my goal. I don't want to be Johnny Depp or, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like right, that's yeah, a yeah. name to throw out there right now. Like yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> we could use other examples. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I started out acting when I was, I, I really started pursuing it when I was 26. I was already married. Um, I, you know, I wasn't after, so I know a lot of people that what they want is stardom. You know, it's not my goal. 
And if I were offered something that was that life altering, I would have to really think about mm -hmm. whether I would take that opportunity or not. I mean, my agent would kill me if I turned down something like that. But I have a kid, you know, like, do I want to be a series regular on a show right now? No, not really. I'd never be home, right? I, yeah. My goal is to be in that 5% where you're booking meaty guest star roles regularly. So, you you know, you're doing one episode on Grey's Anatomy, you know, and you get to die of cancer or, you know, you're, or you're, uh, you know, you're a bad guy on, uh, you know, some other episodic cop show right, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're the serial killer of this episode, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, and you do a few of those a month and they're really interesting roles, but you do it for a few days and then you're done, you know, but you take home a pretty nice paycheck. Yeah. Do a couple of those a month. Do some maybe nice lead roles in some indie films that go to festivals, you know, but they're not like in every cinema in America. Like that would be my ideal career. You know, you go do an indie, you're out in the desert filming it for two months and then you come home and you're kind of like yeah, just living yeah. your life for the rest of the year. Maybe doing a few more guest stars. So there's like comfortable balance in that. Yeah. You don't get the hassle of being like Johnny Depp, right? Right. <laughs> but you can also, you don't have to like struggle for money. Right. It's like the perfect like little yeah. mix in the middle. And you're getting to do exciting stuff. So, I mean, like that to me would be the ideal career, like chasing after commercials and stuff, which you have to do as an LA actor. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying like you turn that stuff down. But chasing after uh, commercials or what we call co-stars, which are the little lines where you're like the waiter, which everybody has to start out with. You know, can I take your order, sir? And that's it. You're done yeah, for the episode. Yeah. It's cool to be on set. It's cool to be doing it. But there's not much that you're actually bringing to that. Like as all the stuff that I'm talking about, bring your emotional content. Have fun. You know, like live out your therapy. Well, you can't do that if you're coffee you know, barista number one, yeah, of you course. know, yeah, like, yeah, please yeah. don't come crying to take <laughs> someone's coffee yeah. order. No one, that's just distracting. Nobody wants that. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like that would be my, I think, dream career I do agree, if yeah. I could get to there. It's making me think here about the layers. For example, if I'm thinking about like a guy who dies in one episode of Grey's Anatomy yeah. and then I see him in another cop show, I just think, oh, I might have seen him. Oh yeah, he does that. And I'm thinking that's like a, that's like the bottom of the pond, for example, right. but you're saying that's like the top five percent in That's a way the top five percent yeah before we yeah. even get to like if you if yeah. you're recognizing uh i don't know if you've heard of this documentary it's it's old now but the that guy that was in that thing is that what it's called there's a documentary called that guy that ah. was in that thing so ah, okay, okay. It, and, it, and it just follows a, a, a set of working actors and they're people that if you look them up on their imdb they've got 200 300 credits they're working all the time and they do get stopped. They get recognized in coffee shops, but no one knows their name. No one asks for an autograph. They just go, I know you somewhere. I know you've been in something. I saw you. Don't tell me what it was. What was it, dude? Right? And they're like, I don't know. I've been in 300 different things. Right? But it's called that guy that was in that thing. I really yeah, want to watch this. Yeah. That's the top 5%. Those guys are doing really, I mean, they're really doing well as actors because they're making... Mm. A living doing that and nothing else. That's extraordinary. And and ninety five percent of the union actors in the U.S. and actually that's global because SAG is a global union. Um, don't have to have another job. Wow. And so. talking of other jobs, your yeah. other job, I presume, is your teaching. Correct. Can you tell me more about how you transitioned into being a both an actress yes. and also an acting teacher? So acting. Um, I, so I have taught in some capacity most of my life. Um, I was a tutor and I taught Korean language, believe it or not, at UC Irvine and, UC, and, and the University of Washington. And I've kind of done teaching in some form most of my life. I also homeschool my daughter. Um, it was something that I was sort of offered in LA, mostly because I am not a typical LA actor in the sense that I don't hop around between all of the big acting studios. Um, so I think a stereotypical LA actor stays in a class for like a month. Like you sign up for one month of classes at this place and then you're like, okay, cool, got what I need from there. Jumping on, now I'm doing method acting for a month. I'm jumping over here for a month. I'm signing up for this. Okay, cool, now I know everything I need to know about method acting because I did it for a month. Now I'm moving on to this technique, right? Now I'm gonna do a month of improv. And I think that's the sort of stereotypical LA actor is that they just jump, they're always in class, 
but they're always jumping around and I don't think they ever really develop any sort of breadth in, mm. in knowledge of, in any particular technique. Um, that didn't appeal to me and so I was always the weird actor that would stay, like if I found a workshop that I liked, I would stay for like four, five, six years and I would know the technique like the back of my hand and so what that resulted in is me getting offered teaching jobs at two of the workshops that I had studied at because I had been there so long they could hear me like like the, the coach would ask a question to the actor who's up there working and I'm like back there answering it because I you know I know all the answers I've, I've been here for five years you know um, and just knowing that I had some teaching experience so I got offered teaching jobs at two of the workshops and I turned them down when I was in LA because I really just wanted to pursue acting and I didn't the thing about you know, you have to have a survival job, but the thing is your survival job should always be something that you can cancel. You mm. can just get out of at any minute. So it's a waiter job that you don't care about. Or, yeah, yeah. you know, or you work at Starbucks, but there's three people who can cover you because they're all actors too. So when they get an audition, they're going to cover, you know, you're yeah, going to cover yeah, them yeah. and they're going to cover you or, you know, whatever. Um, and I did tutoring because I could always reschedule a private lesson. Course, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think... Um, Remind me where I was at. You were I talking about how like, having, I was asking how you transitioned into teaching. Right. Okay. So I didn't want to teach in LA because if you're teaching a class of students, an entire workshop, I can't call and say, hey, I'm not showing up 20 people, right? Because um, I got an audition and, you know, so I just, it wasn't something I wanted to do at the time. But then... I got this bombshell bit of news that my husband's job was moving to Hong Kong. And I didn't want to go. I did not, 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 not want to go. But he was going, and we have a kid. So it was like, I had to go, right? So um, I went, and I wound up doing, fortune. I was actually very blessed to do a lot more acting in Hong Kong than I ever thought I would. Um, and I did some really interesting projects there, even in spite of COVID, which was great. But um, it certainly wasn't like I was auditioning multiple times a week or like that I really had a full schedule. So I kind of thought about what else could I do that would keep me, keep, kind of keep my fingers in the, in the putty. Like I, I don't wanna, if I can, I would have signed up for a class in Hong Kong if it existed. If there was a film acting class that was as good as any of the stuff I'd been doing in LA, I wouldn't have taught. I would have just signed up for it and said, cool, I'm still acting, I'm still working out those muscles, but there wasn't, it didn't exist. And so I said, okay, if I wanna keep sort of my acting muscles sharp or strong, that would be the right word for muscles. Um, if I wanna keep my muscles strong and if I wanna kind of keep just uh, you know in this technique and and keep working out then I guess I'm gonna have to teach and so that's why I started um, my workshop there the Hong Kong Hollywood acting workshop and it turns out I'm quite good at it um, and I think that it's also very rewarding to be able to watch your students grow and to be able to kind of share with them what you've learned and see how it changes them. Like, and, and, and really makes people who maybe didn't even, you know, I had, and I always marketed my classes as classes for actors. I didn't market it as classes for rich expat wives who have nothing to do and are bored and want to build their confidence. Um, I marketed them as acting classes for actors because that's all I know. I know how to teach like my classes in LA and I'm borrow I'm not borrowing, I'm stealing their technique with their permission, right? So I, I constantly, I'm in conversations with my acting coach in LA like once a week and he, we talk about my teaching and what's going on with their studio and everything. So he's completely aware that I'm, I'm, I'm even, I use their scripts, right? And with his permission, he's like, do you want me to send you more? So, um, I, that's what I know. I know how to train people who really want to be actors and working on set. I can train you how to work. I can't tell you how to give a better presentation at work. Now, do I think that acting will help you give a better presentation at work? Yes. Do I think that it will help you build your confidence? Yes. 
but that's not the way I'm going to be talking in class. I'm going to be talking in class about when you're on set, this is what's going to happen. You know, when you're in a close-up, this is what's going to happen. So that's the way I'm training people, so that's the way I marketed it. However, I always had people who were models. You know, I, so, so there were other, you know, people who were sort of like, I'm kind of interested in acting, but I've never done it, mm. right? But they're still sort of in entertainment in some way. So I always had, you know, YouTubers, you know. Some, some of my clients were actual actors. Some were YouTubers, some were models, some were, you know, high school students who wanted to be in, in acting later in life, but were at the time just in art school or whatever. Um, and watching people who had no foundation in acting at all, like who was a model, then get really good at the technique. And some of them went off and did movies in, in Hong Kong, you know? Um, and that's very rewarding. And so I, I've, it's turned out that I actually really enjoy it. There have been discussions about when I go back to LA that I may take a class at the studio that I was offered to take a class before and I turned it down. Um, he's eager for me to come back and, and teach one of his sections. So we'll see. I, I'm, not, I'm still not sure when I'm back in LA if that's something right, I wanna sure. do or not. But while I'm abroad, um, you know, it's a, way, it's a way to stay creative. It's a way to keep sort of myself sharp in terms of, of knowing what's required. Of course, I wish I were doing more of it myself, yeah, you know, but, it's, but it, is, it is rewarding and it is a lot of fun. And um, so that's, and now, so I'm starting here. Excellent. Yeah. What is the ultimate dream for you, Jessica? Or have we alluded to it earlier about? I think so. Okay, yeah. I think so with the, you know, being a steadily working actress, um, not getting to that point, where it really disrupts your life and you can't have a personal life anymore, but that you're working consistently and you're working on projects that are interesting. Like the roles that you're getting are interesting. They're meaty roles. Like for me, that's my acting dream. Excellent. Is there a question that I've not asked you that you would have liked me to or expected me to ask you? I had no expectations. <laughs> um, not really, I guess. Um, no, I'll just plug my class a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. If I may. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm starting classes here as well. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram, Jessica Likens, L-I-K-E-N-S. Um, the session that's coming up is already closed, so I won't be taking any more session, uh, any more students for this upcoming session. But if acting, if you're in Saigon and acting is something that you really have a passion for and you want to learn about, whether it's something you've done before or not, it's okay. Um, if you want to do an on-camera acting class, I'm pretty sure I'm offering the only one that exists in English. So if that's your interest, then go ahead and find me and we'll figure something out for a future session. You're the niche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I really enjoyed this, Jessica. There's a lot of things that I wasn't previously aware before I started this conversation, the whole point of the Combat Podcast. So thank you very much and keep up the good work. Thank you for having me.